Good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be with you as we continue our new series, Body of Work, thinking about the different ways we serve in the church. And tonight we are on location. You can see a Ferris wheel behind me. There's a fair going on here in St. Charles. And you think about fairs like this, maybe you'd like to put in the chat, what's your favorite ride? If you're at an amusement park or a fair, do you like the Ferris wheel, the roller coaster? whatever it is, just the beautiful lights and the smell and the atmosphere, maybe the food. What do you love about it? Well, we all have our favorites, right? Maybe it's, it's that Ferris wheel. You get to go up high and, and you you see all around and you, you see the beautiful sights of the fair and beyond. And that's why you have all the lights to make it look all the more beautiful and twinkly. What we probably wouldn't say, what I bet no one said in the chat was, I love to go there to go pick up garbage. I love to go there and I collect the trash bags and I take them out to the dumpster just as a volunteer. I pay the money to, to get the ticket and go in and take out the trash. We're going there because of the big, spectacular, beautiful things. Sometimes that's the way we come to church as well. We're thinking about, I want to go on the Ferris wheel. I want to go on the roller coaster. I want the funnel cake. And there's all kinds of needs in the church. And we have to think too, how am I fulfilling my calling? We're all called to serve. How am I fulfilling that part of the body's work that doesn't necessarily have beautiful lights on it like that? That isn't going to give a grand vista, but it's desperately needed. Because there's always going to be the need to actually serve. And that's what we see going all the way back to Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Here we see the beginnings of forming the organization of the church, the need to, to delegate out and to see different people serving in different ways. It's what we're called to do too. As we think about that tonight, let's come before God and ask that he would help us to understand how he wants us to serve. Let's pray. Father, would you guide us as we talk about service and what it looks like to be a servant? Would you help us to see how you've called us to serve? As we run towards the Ferris wheel or the roller coaster or the delicious food, would you help us to see the times we need to take out the trash or take tickets or, or all the other things that aren't the, the attraction, so to speak, and yet are deeply needed? Lord, we ask for your guidance that we might have the heart, that each of us might have the heart of a servant. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The thing that we know is that Jesus came as a servant. He didn't come to ride the Ferris wheels. As beautiful as they are, 
or, or there's another ride over here. I think it drops you up and down. He didn't come to do those sorts of things. What did he do? He came to help, to be one who ministered to people. He deserved to have all the lights and glistening, sparkling things shining for him. But he came to help the poor and the needy, to, to heal the sick, to heal our souls. Jesus came as a servant. That's what we see in Philippians chapter 2. We go there often, but we should because it gets to the heart of what Jesus was here to do. He came as a servant to live, to suffer, and to die for us. So as we think about what we're called to do, service is at the heart of it. I think it's no, no coincidence at all that as Paul lists out the gifts in Romans chapter 12, we looked at prophecy last week and talked about more broadly the charismatic or the miraculous or the special effects gifts. It's no coincidence that Paul then jumps to what feels like the other end of the spectrum and says those, he talks about those who are called to serve. Those who are called to serve to show the service that God's gifted them to do. Well, here's the first thing. If Jesus came as a servant, then we know one thing is true, which is that all of us are called to serve. And sometimes that's a very informal thing. We shouldn't say, well, I'm not sure I'm feeling that call to service. I bet some other people are called to serve. I'm not. All of us are called to serve. James chapter 2, what do we read? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? James gets right to the point. So often we're looking for the spectacular, for these amusement rides. We're pulling in and waiting to, to present our tickets and then experience the excitement of the Christian life. Sometimes that goes in the direction of having a spiritual answer. We, we see someone in need and we say, by your faith, be warm, be filled with food. You don't need to be hungry. And yet what is the heart of the gospel? What does it look like to actually be a servant? When we see the ministry of Jesus, Jesus came into the world to serve people that he'd made. He didn't need to. He could have demanded all the lights and the spectacular glow of the festival be directed towards him. But he came and served. And so too then should we. we. That's what we're called to be and to do is to be those ready to serve. Now, sometimes we think, okay, I'm ready to serve, but I'm going to wait until I can set my carnival and I can present a truly exciting festival to that's not what God's called us to be. We see all the action around us and we think, I'll wait till all that calms down and then I'll serve in, in a way that allows me to be right in the center of things. But sometimes we're on the roadside as the cars drive by and we just see a need in this moment. And it's far away from the lights. The lights are back there just like they are behind me. Yeah, that's exactly where God needs us. We don't wait for the, the special or the festive or the exotic. We serve right where God has placed us right now. And that's true for all of us. Again, you think about the disciples during Jesus' ministry. There, there were people that would start to prophesy in Jesus' name or do miracles. And the disciples were very guarded. Or, or the children that were trying to approach Jesus, they were very guarded. Wait, we're the ones who are the ticket keepers. We're the ones with the lights and the show and have the microphones to announce the next ride. These people shouldn't be there. What did Jesus do? He called all those people to himself. And so, too, he calls us to himself. And then he calls all of us to be ready to see the ordinary people in need around us and to serve them 
just as he serves us. Now, with what Paul says here, though, you might say, well, okay, that's fine. So all of us are called to serve. Why does God then have Paul write this list? We have the, the special, spectacular, charismatic gifts that are, are listed uh, uh, being represented by prophecy. And then we go to service. And then we're going to go to teaching. Well, how does service fit in there? And I think part of it, the reason it's right there, is that we don't miss the fact that all of us are called to do it. But some have suggested, and I think there's some truth to this too, some are called to a special level of service. That's where they are. And I think we know this intuitively. Not that it's an excuse to, to push off work onto other people. But rather, there are some people who just aren't happy if they aren't serving the people around them. They just are driven constantly to serve. And as we think about that, sometimes we go from this informal service, all of us are called to do it, to what we sometimes in the church call deacons, those who are set apart to serve. That's what we see in Acts chapter 6. The, the apostles, they're not using the situation going on there to say, we don't care about people, we don't want to do anything for them. They're saying, well, we're busy teaching and preaching and doing all these things that God's called us to do. We can't also be administering all the funds coming in to take care of the widows and the orphans. We can't do it all. None of us can do it all. That's what we're talking about as we think about how the body functions together. And there are some people who have the gifts to administer that. There are some people who have gifts of mercy, of service, of wisdom on how to disperse finances, on all these things. Let's set apart people of good character arrayed to do this. And you think about that. When we think about what a deacon is, sometimes in the church it ends up being the junior grade officer, right? You have deacons and elders. And so the deacon becomes, well, someone who hasn't quite made it to elder yet, or someone who's good at working on the building. That's not what the Bible is talking about. Instead, look at the qualifications that are there for the deacon. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13. Paul writes, deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Why do we have all these qualifications? Why would God want to delineate out how you can be a servant? It's because when we set someone apart to serve the church, to do this sort of thing, it actually matters that the person is representing the gospel faithfully. That's what we see in Acts as these men are set apart. They're people who are ready to serve faithfully. They, they're ready to testify to the gospel. They're not just wanting to hand a coat or, or hand a sandwich to someone. They know the gospel and they want to share it. They want to encourage those who believe it. It's not some lesser calling to be a servant. It's right at the heart of the kingdom. That's where it is for all of us. If we are serving, we're doing God's work. We're doing what he wants us to do. Now, we need to make sure someone's actually capable of serving before sending them out to serve representing the church, though. And that's where these qualifications come in. And we could spend a lot of time on these qualifications, how they all break down. If you notice in the ESV that I read, it said the wives of deacons, and it goes into the qualifications for wives of deacons. 
I would actually argue that it's not wives of deacons. It can also be translated deaconesses. And I believe there it's talking about that the qualifications apply both to men and women who serve. In any case, though, the point is, what matters is that we actually are people of character. We need to represent the church well as we serve. And so it matters, especially if someone is set apart to a special place of service, the place of deacon or deaconess, that person is showing that service in a way that represents Jesus well. It's not just about giving out codes. It's not just about food. It's about God's kingdom. I read about a failed CIA operation years ago called Operation Acoustic Kitty. And they came up with this plan. They wanted to get information about what was going on in the Soviet embassy in Washington, DC. So they came up with a plan. They would take some cats, they would surgically add a bug to the cat's ear so that they could hear what the cat was hearing. And then they put these cats out as stray cats around the Soviet embassy. There's only one problem. If you know cats, and I love cats, if you know cats, you don't tell a cat what to do. Cats tell us what to do. The, the old joke about cats having servants in their house is true. Cats are the bosses. They like to make their own will clear. And if you want to train them to go on a spy mission, it isn't going to work. And so, in fact, that operation failed. They, they the spy operation, they took the cat back, removed the bug, and gave up on the operation. It didn't work. So, likewise, we need to make sure before we set people apart to to hand out church funds to those in need, to represent the hands and feet of Christ in a formal way, those people are ready to actually hear what Jesus is calling them to do, that they're not going to be cats in the kingdom, so to speak. As much as I love cats and there should be cats in the kingdom, that we're ready to actually obey what God is calling us to do. That's what's really happened here. Take a look at Acts 6, 5 to 6. When, when this was said with this announcement they needed to set these men apart, it says what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. What we see there is so important. Notice again, they're setting apart people of good character, those qualifications we talked about. They're, they're sending out not just, oh, these people didn't measure up to be teachers in the church. These people aren't apostles. They, they got the lower cut, so we'll send them out. No, these are people who are ready to serve and are full of the spirit. That's the key thing. They're just as qualified to be a part of the body and to serve in the body as anyone else. And so that's in fact what they're going to do. But they have gifts of service. They're ready to serve. God's going to use them. And what we see here then is that with service situated between prophet and teacher, not only is it a reminder that it applies to all of us, but when we see those people set apart with or without a title of deacon to be those who serve, maybe as we grow as a church, we'll have a mercy ministry or we have a ministry for the sick or all those sorts of things. When we set people apart for these things, what we see is how essential it is. Just as essential as a prophet, just as essential as a teacher, this is in the heart of what we do as the church. What we see then is that the church grows as people serve. Take a look at verse seven. It says, and the word of God, this is right after these people are set apart, these men, and the word of God continued to increase 
And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. What are we being told here? This didn't just end up being a little thing where some people were set apart, and they took care of the widows, and it just shut everything down, and they weren't really doing anything. It was sometimes we see churches today, they decide, well, God did call us to mercy, so we'll go ahead and we'll have a food bank or we'll we'll have a, a shelter or whatever, wonderful things, but they forget that they're actually called to expand God's kingdom. You see here the two are totally intertwined. There's no separation. They go and serve. They go and, and help those in need and what happens, the church grows as they do. That's what happens when we serve as well. Those who are called to serve aren't lesser than prophets or teachers in expanding the gospel because they're proclaiming as they do. They're not just secret missionaries that don't mention that they're Christian. No, they're proclaiming the gospel as they serve. What they're showing is they believe it so much they're willing to serve. And when we serve, we're saying the same thing. I believe this so much, I'm willing to go spend my time. I'm willing to go spend my energy. I'm willing to go spend my money. I'm willing to spend whatever I have, whatever resources God has given me to help those who have a need. And that sometimes and oftentimes should be those in the church, the widows, for example, being taken care of. That's the need immediately in Acts chapter 6. But clearly it expands. And sometimes there'll be people that don't yet know the gospel. Those of you that help on the prayer ministry here at Little Hills, you're being a part of this as you are listening ear to someone who's right in. As we are given opportunities and we have the resources and we help those who need financially at times, we're not really there yet as a church. We're still too small to do much there. But as God opens up those opportunities and maybe someone needs a shelter or someone needs help with a utility bill, what are we doing? If we do that in Jesus' name and we do that sharing the gospel and we do it and make it clear we're doing it because we love Jesus and we want them to know that Jesus loves them, what are we doing? We're helping to expand the kingdom and the Holy Spirit will use us do that. It's going to look different for different people. Yes, some are called to serve as prophets, and that's going to be the main thing. Yes, some are called to serve as teachers. As we go through, there are these different areas. But right in the middle, that one that we often think isn't very glamorous, that isn't the flashing beautiful lights and the music, it's the one that's needed most. Not in that separate from the gospel way I referred to just a moment ago, but in that completely enmeshed in the gospel way. And when we embrace that, we say as a church, yes, we want to proclaim with lights and sound and everything we can that Jesus is Lord, but sometimes we also just need to be in the corner fixing the tire of the person that broke down on the way to the fair. Then we're truly, fully embracing what God has made us to be. I read an interesting article this past week about the way that quote-unquote HGTV is ruining our homes. That was really interesting because if you watch HGTV, you might say, well, how is it ruining our homes? It's telling us how to make our homes not tacky. It's telling us how to make our dated homes look not so dated. But here's the problem that the article pointed out that I thought was interesting. It was so different in this era when everyone's watching that and everyone's trying to follow the advice. So much of what we see on there is about what makes your home have curb appeal or inside appeal if someone's going to buy it. You know, this home, you don't want to even look at this home. The paint color is so tacky or so personalized. It's not going to be interesting to a buyer. Oh, this kitchen is not in the current form that it should be in. No one would want to buy this home. And what it is doing is it's causing us to think not in terms of 
do we like what our homes look like? Are they welcoming? Are they comfortable? Do they serve their purpose? But how can I set my home so that if tomorrow I decide to sell it, someone who is generically walking in who didn't have my same taste would walk in and say, yeah, this home's acceptable. It might be generic, but it's acceptable. And so the argument was, and I thought this was fascinating, that by constantly focusing on how do we make our homes broadly appealing, they're not really all that appealing oftentimes because we're not actually making it warm and inviting. Everyone's painting in very neutral colors so that no one's offended if they, the house was being sold to someone else who had different tasted colors. Everyone's setting up the same sort of kitchen because you need to meet certain basic requirements for whomever might be cooking in that kitchen, etc., etc. Rather than thinking about, how can I enjoy this home? How can those whom God has called me to offer hospitality to enjoy this home? so generic and it's bland and it takes away something. And in the church, when, when we don't understand how the body is going to serve in different ways, we're kind of HGTVizing our church. Yeah, it looks broadly appealing. No one's going to be offended. Everyone's going to think it's okay. But the best churches should be quirky. The best churches should have some different artwork up. The best churches maybe should have paint colors that not everyone's going to like. Because we're called to be uniquely the body of Christ. That's what we're called to be here at Little Hills for our particular place with the particular people God is going to call through the door. If we all do blank, the, the whole church is going to just feel very much like a blank. It's just going to be a place that eventually someone can bring their stuff into. But if instead we embrace how we're different and how we serve uniquely as the body of Christ, we start to show spectacular colors even when we're thinking we're running away and what we should be doing. Let's look at that passage one more time. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. This is amazing. Here's a man who set apart as one of the first servants of the church. Yet we see him doing signs and wonders. God chooses to work spectacularly through him. Now, not all of us are going to do signs and wonders, but God works spectacularly through us when we're willing to serve in the way that he has called us to serve. Don't go chasing after trying to become a Ferris wheel. Don't think that you need to watch the HGTV of church and somehow be what's going to be appealing to everyone. Understand that God has worked uniquely through you. And as we all are called to serve, it won't always look super exciting to everybody. But we have to trust that God has placed us uniquely where we need to be. Where are you working? Where are you going to school? Where are you living? How can you serve in those places? It doesn't have to be someplace far off that will make an impressive story that you could write an article about. Life's going to be very ordinary. But in those ordinary moments, in those dated, oh, you need to update this kitchen kind of moment, God works spectacularly. Let's pray that he would do that with not so that we can have the glory of the lights in our lives, but rather that we would show his glory, which is far more spectacular in the end. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, would you help us to be those who light up the world for your kingdom, not with the glamorous lights of Ferris wheels and other rides that the world puts up, but rather the light of your love. Lord, would you use us to show that this day and every day, we pray in Jesus' name. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. If it was, please do give us a like or a share on your favorite service, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you might be joining us on tonight. Next week, we'll be thinking about the call to be a 
a, a, a servant in a different way, by serving through teaching. So I hope that you'll join me for that next week. In the meantime, I hope you have a wonderful and blessed week. If there's any way I can be praying for you, shoot us a message at the text line that you see on screen. I can't wait to join you next week. Have a wonderful and blessed week. Thank you.